church. Well, I'm happy today because Georgia won, so I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I'm happy. But if you have your Bible, please open it to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We've been on a Christology tour in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. The Apostle Paul has been our tour guide, and he's been giving us a tour of this wonderful confession about Jesus Christ, a wonderful confession about who he is. These verses confess what he does, they confess who he is, they confess that he's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. That's what the acronym stands for. Verses 15a confesses Jesus to be the selfie of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God. And verses 15b through 17 confesses him to be the supremacist, Lord, that he's more supreme over anything or anyone in all creation. He rules over all things. And this morning, we're going to continue our tour. We're going to be looking at verses, one verse, verse 18a. Verse 18a. It confesses Jesus to be the head. Not like a bobblehead, if that's what you're thinking. It confesses his headship. And his headship, the headship of Christ, empowers the church to live as his body here on earth. Christ's headship empowers the church to live as his body here on earth. So I'll read our verse, 18a. For he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. I'm going to pray for us one more time. Lord, as we come to the preaching of your word, we need your spirit. We need your spirit to not just move in our church, but to move in every church in in our nation that is worshiping right now. You know, we all gather with different emotions, different feelings about this election, different places, different thoughts. Some are down, some are upset, some are happy. Your body is all over the place, Lord. And we need our Savior to come minister to us, to speak to us, to remind us that you are sovereign over us, and that is a good thing. And so my prayer for us, that as the word goes forth, that that, that, that the Spirit will preach it to my own heart, and that I will believe it, not just be up here talking, but I will actually believe what I'm saying. And I pray that the Spirit will take these words and apply it to the hearts of your people. You know what they need to hear. You know what they are dealing with. And whatever they are dealing with, wherever they are today, whatever place they're living in, I pray that they will come before your throne with open hands and an open heart, willing to receive from you what they truly need, and that you, Holy Spirit, will give it to them. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. We know from verses... 15b through 17, that Jesus is supreme, that he rules over all aspects of creation. As verse 16 and 17 says, for by him all things were created. 
in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now that's either true or it's a lie. It's either true or it's a lie. Verse 18b also focuses on on the supremacy of Christ, but it zooms in on one particular aspect of his supremacy. It narrows the scope, and that scope is on his headship over his church. And his headship is not some nice slogan, not some nice slogan that we just say. It's an objective truth. It's truth. It means something. It speaks to his relationship with the church. He is the head of the body, the church. But what does that mean? What does it mean? There has been much historical debate on the meaning of the Greek term that's translated head. Some believe the term means source or origin. Others believe it means you have authority over. The context of our verse calls for both and. Both of those meanings are integrated and consolidated in verse 18a. Jesus is both the source and the authority when it comes to the body, his church. He's the head, not a head. He's not a co-head. Please know that. It's not Jesus and, and many other heads. There is only one, and that is Jesus Christ, the one and only head of the church. He is the GOAT. I'm telling you, the greatest of all time. Ephesians 1.22 says, he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Alex? That means without Jesus, there is no church. That's what it means. Without Jesus, we're just a country club who talk about spiritual stuff. And I'm just a motivational speaker to help you get through the week. If Jesus is not the head of the church. See, the church did not create herself. Not, we didn't evolve out of some big bang. No one just said, hey, let's get together and just listen to this guy preach. That's such a great idea. We're not self-existing. She's not self-sustaining. She is utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ. For he is the creator of the church, the founder of the church, the builder of the church, the organizer of the church, the cornerstone of the church, the source of the church, the head of the church. And keep in mind, who makes up this body? Who makes up the church? It's not bricks and stones and a steeple. It's people. It's God's people. And and these people are not Lego figures. They're not colorful interlocking bricks that we can just pull apart and put back together again. They are image bearers of the creator. And these people are those who have confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. People who who have confessed that they're sinned against God. People who, who know they are separated by God. But because of Christ, they have become part of. These are the people who have repented of their sin. These are people who have 
accepted and surrendered to Jesus as both their Lord and Savior. These are the people of God. There is a requirement to be part of this people, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. You just don't get in just by showing up. And Jesus gathers these people into a body. He adopts them into his body, the church. Now, what type of body is the church? What's the size? What's the shape? If, you ever, if any of you ever taken a demographic survey, then you know that on this survey, there are, there are characteristics on every demographic survey about race, ethnicity, gender, age, education, profession, occupation, your income level, your marital status. These are type of things that are on any demographic survey. And if the church took a demographic survey, it would check every item under every category. Every item would be checked. Why? Because the church is made up of all people groups from around the world. All people groups. You see, Jesus organizes God's people into a global church that includes people from every nation, every tribe, and every ethnicity. He reconciles a diverse people to God into one body. Not two bodies, not three bodies, but one body. But do you believe that? Ephesians 2, 15, beginning in verse 15, it says, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. So making peace, he might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross. One body. One diverse global body. That's what the church is. Jesus is the source of life for the church. He reconciles us together in one body, the church. So that means everything that gives sustaining life to the body of the church comes from her head. Everything that gives sustaining life to the church comes from Jesus. But do you really believe that? Or do you believe Jesus has favorites within his body? Does he have favorites? Let me put it this way. Is he sustaining certain parts of the body and withholding it from others? Does he favor one part of the body and forsake other parts of the body? What do you believe? What does your lifestyles communicate? That's an important question because parts of the body in our country are either fearful, cheerful, angry, prideful, or indifferent because of what happened early Wednesday morning. Some, or you may be in that place. Parts of the body are lamenting. Parts are cheering. Parts are frustrated. Parts are joyful. Parts are fearful. But don't be deceived into believing that Wednesday's election is a divine declaration from Jesus. Don't interpret it as Jesus favoring, making favorites among his body. Don't see it as Jesus elevating one part of the body and forsaking all other parts. 
Because we are all see Wednesday the same. We're all in different places. So what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus loved this group more than this group? He doesn't treat the body that way. That's what we do. That's how we treat his body. He doesn't treat his body that way. Why? Because Jesus is not, his headship isn't political. His headship isn't national. His headship isn't progressive. His headship isn't traditional. His headship is not divisive. His headship sustains the body. It cares for the body. It unifies the body. It provides for the body. All parts of the body, not just some parts. It provides for it all. On his earth, maybe I need to get my amen sign out here. Okay, here we go. I see I'm going to need you today. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was, had a close relationship with one particular family. It was a family living in the village of Bethany. It was three, the family consisted of three siblings, two sisters and a brother, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. One day, Lazarus fell ill. So Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love is ill. Now, Jesus loved his family. So when he, heard, when he received word that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So he didn't, he didn't hurry up and go. I'm like, did you just hear Jesus that you're, the one whom you love is sick, but you stay two days longer? What are you doing? You watching the Georgia game or something? Come on. Two days longer in the place where he was. He didn't hurry off to Bethany to be at Lazarus' side. And guess what? Lazarus died before Jesus arrived. Now, was there a lack of ur- now was Jesus' lack of urgency indifference? Was it carelessness on Jesus' part? Did he not really care uh, about Lazarus? Was it really a, was it a lack of love? No, it was not any of those things. Jesus cared for Lazarus. He loved Lazarus. And he says, this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So the Son of God may be glorified through it. And he told his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now I go to awaken him. When Jesus arrived to the scene, when he, you know, finally showed up, he saw some emotional distress in these two sisters, Mary and Martha. He saw their grief. He saw their tears. He saw their pain. He saw their lament. And you know what Jesus didn't say to them? He didn't say, cheer up, God is sovereign. He didn't say, cheer up, I'm here now. I'm here to fix it. Dude, you can stop all your crying now. I'm here. He didn't say any of those things to them. When he saw Mary weeping, and when he saw the weeping of the Jews who were with her, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. One thing you need to know about our Savior, notice that he didn't overlook, bypass, and belittle their distress just to get on with his ministry. He knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus, but he ministered to their pain before he did it. He just didn't show up and say, hey, I'm going to resurrect your brother to stop all the crying. No. He did not bypass their pain to get on with what he was there to do. He didn't gloss over it. He didn't gloss over the tears. 
didn't gross over the grief, the pain, the lament. He identified with them. He entered the distress with them. He sympathized with them. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And Jesus asked him, take me to Lazarus' grave. And when he got there, he wept. He wept. Why did he weep? Because he cared. Because he loved them. And after he wept, he brought resurrection. That's when he resurrected Lazarus from the grave. Please understand, Jesus does not overlook and bypass the pain, lament, and hurt of his body just to get on with more ministry. He weeps with us. He resurrects us. That's what he does as our head. He does this to every part of the body, not just certain parts of the body. Every part in this country and around the world, he does this for. He weeps with us. He resurrects us. He does not have favorites within the body. There is no favorite daughter and favorite son in this family. There are no second-class citizens in the body of Christ. He gives sustaining life to all parts of the body in this country and around the world. 1 Corinthians, this verse, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 8, in the Message Bible says this, when it comes to the church, Jesus organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. But do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let those words penetrate your, your fearful heart, your sorrow heart, your joyful heart, your prideful heart, wherever you are. Let them bring comfort and conviction and humility to you. Jesus is holding together the body, the church, because that's what he does as her head. He's the source of her strength, her provisions, her perseverance, and nourishment. All those things come from Jesus. They don't come from us. It comes from our head. He takes care of us. But do we believe it? That's the hallways of question. Do you believe Jesus weeps with his people? Do you believe he resurrects his people? Do you believe he reconciles his people into one body? Do you believe he's holding his body together? Even though it may look like it's falling apart in our country right now, it's not. Nothing will prevail against Jesus' power to sustain his church. Disappointment won't. Suffering won't. Hate won't. The way certain believers are treating each other because of this election won't. The only way to kill this body is to kill the head. And they already tried that and it didn't work. It didn't work. He told his haters, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll rise it again. And he did that. Well, I ain't got to raise the flag. Good job. (laughs) He did. He defeated both sin and death. And he can handle anything else that comes at his church. He can. He's the truth. He's the greatest of all time. He's the one and only head of the church. The one and only head. It's not a political party. It's not a government. And it's not any human rulers. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And his approval rating is 100%. Today, tomorrow, forever. He gives sustaining life to all parts of the body. 
So that means if you think Jesus just started being good because your party won the election, then you don't know anything about Jesus. If you think Jesus has stopped being good because your party didn't win, then you don't know anything about Jesus either. And if you think Jesus don't care about this world and you're indifferent to it, then you don't know anything about Jesus either. His supremacy over all creation is good and it's strong. His headship over the church is good and it's strong. It will not be shaken. So that means because of our head, we can be afflicted but not crushed. We can be perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Because of our head. Not because of us. Give him some credit. Give him some credit. If he defeated sin and death, if he defeated death, who actually defeated death? No one has ever defeated death but Jesus. And you don't think he is able to do what he says he's going to do in this world right now. He is sustaining his body all over the world. And his body, that's not the church in America. It's the persecuted church overseas as well. Do you think he loves them less? Do you think he loves them less because they die for the faith? No, he loves them the same as he loves us. We're just going through different things right now. But he's sustaining it all because he is the head. We are a global, diverse body. The church is. And we got to think that way because of our head. C.S. Lewis's children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Tells the adventures of four siblings in the magical kingdom of Narnia. Aslan, the lion, is the Christ figure in this story. And when in Narnia, the children finally, they meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they tell them about the mighty lion. They tell them about him. The youngest sibling, Lucy, said, is he a man? Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is king of the wood, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who the king of the beast is? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous around about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. Make no mistake, says Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either neither braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. Jesus Christ is not safe. He's not safe. And if you think coming into the kingdom and being a Christian means you're going to be safe, means you're not going to ever go through anything, you don't understand Christianity at all. He's not safe, but he's good. He's not just a source of the church. He also has authority over the church. He rules over the church because he's the king. He's not, he's not just given sustaining life. He also leads the church. He directs the body. He guides the body. He disciplines the body. He prunes the body. He sets the agenda of the body. So that means the buck stops with Jesus. Him. And so that means the global 
diverse body of Christ must submit and live under his authority. Because he is the king. This, he has given his diverse body a mission, a great commission. And it's the body of the church going into the world with the message of the gospel. We go into the world in order to make disciples of all nations. I came across this quote this week during my sermon prep, and it says, The body of Christ is precisely the church in which God Christ moves out into the world. The preaching of the gospel by the church is the answer to cosmic anxiety. But do you believe that? The body of Christ is precisely the church which Christ moves out into the world. The preaching of the gospel by the church is the answer to cosmic anxiety. But we think it's whoever has political power. And we're wrong. The message of the gospel is that all people are lost in sin. Separated from God because of that sin. And Jesus Christ is God's only solution for that sin. He paid the price by dying on the cross in our place. He paid all of our sin debt. And through faith in him, you can be made right with God. And guess what? Only the diverse body of Christ can take that message to the world. No one else can. No one else can take that message. Our diverse body of Christ can take this message of hope to our divided country. But do we? But do we? The diverse body of Christ, the diverse church, is the salt and light of the world. We are. So look at the church in this country and ask yourself, is the diverse body in America functioning like salt and light for Jesus? Are we truly the city on the hill. No. Collectively, we're not. We've been functioning like salt and light for other things. Golden calves is what I call them. And this whole election has shown all of our true colors. Every church and every denomination. Because at the end of the day, it's the red and blue that the church in America bows down to. And that's true whether or not we want to admit it. We can justify it. We can even spiritualize it. One guy on Facebook says, if you woke up feeling like a champion because of the election, your hope is in the wrong place. If you woke up destroyed about this election, your hope is in the wrong place. So where did you wake up on Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning? Well, how did you wake up? Where was your hope? The diverse body of Christ in America shouldn't expect our pagan country to bow down to our God when we don't. When we don't, when we don't, it begins with us. It starts with us. Our house have to be in order. We are the body of Christ because Jesus is our head. But because of our idolatry in this land, we don't function that way. He told his disciples this, by your love for one another, the world would know that you are my disciples. And I got to tell you, people have been loving each other since Wednesday very well. What kind of witness are we giving the world for that? When they see the church tearing each other apart because of an election. What, what does that communicate about the body? Does it communicate oneness? Does it communicate that we're together? We cannot just love the parts of the body that voted like us. 
We have to love those who voted different than us. And if we can't do that, then there's something you need to go have a coming to meeting, meeting with Jesus. You may be hurting about the election. You may be joyful about the election. But if that leads you to break fellowship with a brother and sister in Christ, Jesus is not honored. He is not glorified in that. That is from the pit of hell. There's no place in God's kingdom. Now, we're all messy. We all ain't going to get along. But we have a Savior who's at the center of everything that we do. He is. We have to love all parts of the body. Jesus expects every part of the body to care for each other the same way that he cares for us collectively and individually. So when you think about the way you're going to speak to a brother, just ask yourself, is this how Jesus treats me? Is this how Jesus loves me? Even if I'm wrong, is this how Jesus treats me? How does Jesus love you? How does Jesus treat you? How does he care for you? How does he shepherd you? How does he guide you? He weeps with you. He celebrates with you. He restores you. And at times he will discipline you. And we should do the same thing for one another. But will we? 1 Corinthians 12. I know this might not be the sermon you want to hear on the anniversary. I'm sorry, but hey, it is what it is. In 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 14, it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if an ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the whole body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And on unpresentable parts, we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack lack it, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Is that happening? Is that happening? Our church logo, I don't know if it's on the slide up there. Next slide. Okay, maybe it's not. Okay, church logo. That logo is there for a reason. A cross in the, middle, in the middle of broken mosaic pieces. Why do you think we have that logo? Because we are a cross-culture body, and we're all are broken. And the middle of our brokenness is a cross. And when that cross moves out of the center, we fall apart. What sustains this church past these five years is Jesus standing in the center of all of our mess. Because we are messy. We got issues. We get on each other's nerves. 
But because of the cross, because Jesus is at the center, we put up with one another. We forgive one another. We give each other grace. Because the same cross that saves you saves me. Broken people coming together. That is our motto at the Village Church. Broken people coming together to embrace and to extend Jesus' love. That's what we're about. That's what we want to do. I want this church to be here for the next 100 years. Now, I might not be the pastor then, but I still want the church to be here. I do. Jesus has to be at the center. And if he's not the center, when you get mad, you're going to leave. When people get on your nerves, you're going to leave. But if Jesus is at the center, then we can work through anything that comes against our body because we're keeping the Christ at the center of it all. I'll close with this passage from Philippians 2. Paul says, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my, my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing for rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. If the church would just do that to one another, we'd be a better place. Let each of us look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's what I encourage us to do. Not just within our body, but when you go back to work next week, do that with other believers who see things different than you. Love them. Give them grace. Not because your pastor told you to do so, but because your Savior has commanded you to do so. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are our head, and you are good, and you are faithful, and you will forever be in control, and you are sovereign. And so I thank you that your headship is a good thing for the church. And I pray that as we go back out, as we continue to move into this world, give us the, the, the strength and the perseverance to bear witness to your name. And, and I thank you, Lord, for you know, the past five years here at this body. You have moved and you have sustained us. And we pray, Lord, for another five years of your faithfulness upon us. And so as we continue to grow, I pray you continue to grow us. Grow us cross-culturally, Lord, and draw us closer together. We don't just want to be people who go to church together. We want to really be a family. And it's hard sometimes in family because family has issues. And we're going to deal with some of that Thanksgiving table, some of us. And we deal with those same issues here at the body. But we work through them, Lord, under the cross. I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?